You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to a very special episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is Daniel Aaron Dilger. Hi, Victor. Hey, I am so glad you're here. So something big happened today. Why don't you tell me what it was? Apple had a launch event where they didn't launch any hardware. I think that's, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. Um, as everyone knows, they launched all their hardware last week, the new updates to iPads and iMacs and the new AirPods, to get it all out of the way because they wanted to focus on content today. Well, they did launch one physical product today. The hard, the credit card. The titanium <laughs> laser etched credit card. I think it's the thinnest product Apple has ever announced. Probably. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to certainly, make a joke certainly about made it. Of metal, yeah. <laughs> certainly electronic, yes. I mean, it's bare metal. What well, is actually a computer? You know, the, the card, the contact card? Yeah, it's got a that's chip. A, that's a computer. When you plug it into a contact reader, it powers it up and creates a number or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they did do that. That was new hardware. <laughs> we got there. It was a hardware event. So, what else did they do? Well, it's interesting that... That speaking of the card in particular, it's interesting that they did launch a card, even though their focus is on Apple Pay and touchless transactions, because there's a lot of places still that you can't use uh, um, NFC payment from your watch or your phone. Um, so the backup card serves two purposes. One, it uh, allows you to use the same account everywhere, so you can be consistently using it. And secondly, um, it's kind of a prestige thing. There's a lot of prestige related to gold cards or platinum cards and you pull it out in you know, the black card it means you're fancy and so apple's really tapping into that with you know here's a here's an account that you carry around you know optionally um to use it when you need to but they're incentivizing that you use contactless apple pay from your watch or whatever because they're giving you more money back that way this rebate is they're basically subsidizing the the cost or, or they're paying you back because they're charging the merchant you know credit cards when you use a credit card it's free to you but they're charging the merchant and right. merchant fees. some cards, the merchant fees, yeah. So the bank is charging whoever you're buying stuff from. That's why some places don't like to take cards. Wasn't but that by, the big thing that Walmart was was upset about when they launched the uh, the MCX pay thing that they're doing with Walmart pay? Yeah, anywhere Currency? A, a store can, stores like to do a couple of things. One is they don't like to take credit cards if they don't have to. But most do because there's so many people willing to pay for credit cards that they're going to miss out on some sales if they don't allow credit cards. Um, so a big place like um, Walmart is going to take your credit card, but some stores won't take specific cards. Like, like if you have an Amex, they might not take it everywhere because Amex typically charges more, I think. Um, so some places, if I, I try to use my Amex, they're like, oh, sorry, we don't take that. But this is based on um, MasterCard's network. So it should be broadly usable. But Apple is incentivizing that you use Apple Pay electronically because then they'll give you back more money. They'll give you 2% back as opposed to 1% back if you use the card. And then uh, if you're buying Apple stuff, they give you 3% back. And Apple stuff could be anything from a product in the physical store or the online store to the app store or iTunes. Yeah, and it's really interesting. I mean, this this idea of instant money back is kind of a, a plus take on the idea of, I think the Discover card was the first time I remember doing it, the card that pays you back. That was like the whole motto. Um, but there's also a another thing that occurred to me um, with how they're approaching this and the fact that they made this partnership with Goldman Sachs, who they noted was not in the consumer business of, of banking. So they don't have products of their own. 
it'd be kind of difficult for Apple to partner with a company that was already selling people stuff because they would have less incentive to give Apple more control over the whole experience. And Apple is really good at experience, but it's hard to, you can create a great experience on something and it's hard to enter into a market where there's uh, other companies that are competing against you. If you have a, a partner that will help you to get into a new market. And there's a couple of things that I thought of as examples of that. And one is when they launched the Macintosh, they worked with Microsoft to get software on it. You know, they built their office suite. And more more recently and more dramatically, they partnered with AT&T, at the time it was called Singular, to launch the iPhone. And they gave AT&T exclusive access to, you know, the allure of buying an iPhone meant that you had to get AT&T, which wasn't the best service at the time, certainly. But it uh, this fledgling network in the United States was willing to concede giving Apple a lot of leeway and controlling the experience. And that's what launched the iPhone experience. If they'd had to partner with Verizon and all these companies that didn't really want to work with them, they would have had a much harder time delivering a really different experience. And the iPhone was really different than any other cell phone because, you know, you, you had one company controlling the app store. It wasn't the cellular company that was trying to sell you ringtones and garbage apps that were junk based on Java or whatever. So in this case, Partnering with a new bank allows Apple to create an experience with credit cards that are different. And one of the things that they stressed, I mean, a couple of things they stressed is uh, showing you how to pay less in interest by paying off more instead of kind of saying, hey, here's your minimum payment you can make and, you know, you'll be in debt forever. And on the flip side, somebody noted, I, I don't, I didn't verify this myself, but somebody noted that the the APR on the new card is rather high. It's like 13 to 25% or something. Ooh, um, interesting. But you know, by teaching people to pay it off, you shouldn't really have a credit card debt. You should be paying off your credit card debt. Credit card is debt well, is one of the worst things you can have. You, you say that, but there, I think there are a large number of Americans that carry credit card debt. Yeah, and that's really bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, and I think Apple would agree too, which is why they're hoping that they'll be able to use these kinds of things to establish good habits. Yeah, so they're, they're really teaching people, buy stuff using this card, but then pay it off. I mean, that's ideally things you, or the other novel thing was pay it off more frequently. So if you're making a the biggest payment you can afford every two weeks, like every time you get paid, say, hmm. um, you're going to be saving a lot in, in interest as opposed to waiting an entire month to pay again. Interest is a real big trap. I learned that early in life, and fortunately, it was bad enough to where I didn't have <laughs> cards that charged me interest for the rest of my life. I've avoided that. So yeah, and then also the, the reporting and things like that, and making it more friendly as a credit card. That's so that was all kind of interesting, right? I mean. There, there were things like Mint early on years ago that allowed you to, to input your transactions and then be able to categorize them or they would try and categorize them for you and try and help you see where your money was going and, and sort of guide you to a monthly budget. And I, I think Mint sort of fell by the wayside because, well, people still use it, but it's, it's just become clunky and sort of forgotten over time and I think hasn't gotten the attention it needs from its developers to make it really good. And well, also the, the point of Mint wasn't to really make a great experience. It was to get your data. Yeah. They're trying to get you to line up all your accounts so that they could harvest just tons of information about what you're doing. Right. And that's one and of the things that Cook said about uh, privacy today was that Goldman Sachs is yeah. not going to sell your data, right? Yeah. And that Apple is not even going to know what you're doing. So it's kind of the same thing with Apple Pay. I mean, they did that earlier with saying, we, you know, we're not keeping track of all your transactions and mining it for data. We're, you know, we, we show you your last transaction, but we're not even recording it for you. Um, so that's kind of an interesting take as well of, of Apple's privacy yeah. stance. Now, there are people who have been saying that there are other cards that have better rewards programs than this one. And yeah, and that was one of the things that they launched with Apple Pay is they said you can keep the card you have because you might like it. Right. As to remember, you know, Google, when they launched 
Google Pay, the original one, or what, I can't remember what the original one was called. I think the was, original yeah, was one Pay. was Google Pay, and then it became Android Pay, and it was based and on a virtual card. <laughs> so it's more like what Apple's doing now. Is yeah. It was based on a card with a partnership with a bank that Google had. Yeah, I have one of those cards actually. So, so that was a tough sell for Google because it made everybody have to get rid of the card you had to use it. You had to get a new card yeah. from Google to use it. Well, actually, I when I signed up for that at Google I/O one year, it was like 2012. Um, you didn't have to sign up for a new card at that time. It was when they were just launching the NFC product. And so what they did was you you put in your own card and then you fed stuff into your sort of Google wallet. And then you could use the physical card that they issued you as a way of withdrawing that at ATMs and stuff. Okay. So you weren't actually signing up a new agreement in the process. Um, it was very similar to what Apple's doing now, actually. I guess I'm thinking of the the 2.0, you know, when they Maybe. started to launch the NFC product. But. Well, this was the first NFC product, but yeah. they were they were pushing NFC really hard that year. They they had a Samsung Galaxy something or other that they issued to people that attended I.O. just so that they could show off how NFC payments would work. It was pretty wild. But that's not as important as what Apple's doing today. One of the questions that people were asking me earlier today was, will it be possible to use the other cards that you already have in Apple Pay with these new wallet features so that you can see where your spending is and categorize since the categorization happens on the phone? Um, I didn't get that impression, perhaps. I mean, I, I'm not sure. But uh, like when I use Apple Pay, I, it doesn't record everything that I'm doing. It gives you the last transaction that you made with Apple Pay. So mm -hmm. like I said, you know, I'm using various credit cards that I frequently use the card itself. So there'd be no way for Wallet to even know what half of my transactions were. So right. even if they could do that, it wouldn't be a complete picture. Yeah, I understand. Um, cool. But it's an exciting, it's an interesting kind of thing. I, I have thought for a long time that Apple Pay was one of the most interesting parts of, of something Apple could do that it had a lot of potential. And another thing uh, that they released with the card I've thought about not specifically related to cards or, or banking, but um, Apple has, has a couple different, you know, commenting systems and things like that and Apple support where they can incentivize people by giving them micropayments. And that's what they're doing on the card is when you buy from certain retailers like, like Apple itself, or if you use uh, NFC Apple Pay, you're getting this cash back and it goes to your Apple Cash card. Uh, so Apple's experimenting with paying people to, to incentivize them to do things and then seeing an immediate reward. So here's some cash that you can use to, uh, you know, split a tab or buy um, more stuff. Your balance early. <laughs> so that's interesting. Yeah. Buy enough apps and it pays for another app. Do you know if the rewards can be, uh, are, are uh, if, if when we say purchasing stuff from Apple, if I purchase something like the TV plus subscription, does that count against the uh, count towards the rewards? Like, would I get 3% back for buying a subscription from them? I would imagine that if you are buying anything with your card, that that's how it would work. But I don't know for sure. Okay, it's well, a transaction in iTunes. You know, if you buy something in iTunes today on a card that has incentives, it will give you whatever because you're paying money. I mean, it's, it's just another merchant. Yeah. So after we, we talk about the card, right, the other thing that they announced, one of the other things they announced was the idea of a News Plus service. Yes, and we had a couple ideas that this was coming. One was, why were they doing News itself? And the other was their acquisition of um, Texture, which is an all-you-can-eat magazine subscription created by the magazine themselves. It was the big publishers were saying, how can we get people to, to do something that's going to work for us? Uh, so it was Hearst and Connie Nast and these companies created this product that Apple bought. And so they're already in on this. Uh, magazines 
you know, magazines are almost like a lost art. But it was interesting that Apple was really, um, it, I think about my childhood and the magazines that had an impact on me. I mean, I was reading science and National Geographic and things like that. And, and the, the combination of reading a lot of information with graphics and, you know, the super professional photographer showcase that doesn't really exist anywhere else. And Apple's tapping into that to create something that's also a huge driver for iPad because iPad was kind of this ideal way to uh, browse information that's not just a you know static piece of paper. It can have dynamic stuff and type um, photography and things like that, uh, animation, video. And so what they're really creating is one of these epiphanies that I had when they were doing it is this is the convergence between PCs and television that nobody quite got right. Everybody thought it was going to be this box that allows you to browse the web while you're watching television or something. I was like, no, here's a here's something that works on the devices you have that gives you something you can read, which is something that television is not very good at. You can't really read text on television. So television is very much just a looking at pictures thing. And um, it puts that video picture live photo thing into the context of magazines. So you're kind of delivering this future of interactive, very graphical, vi- video-based, almost like television, with the actual reading a lot of content that's in-depth journalism. So it's really creating a, a convergence between these two things in the past, newspapers and television and the web, and creating delivering it in a way that makes sense and that feels like a real product. Yeah, and it's... It it's- reminds us of magazines completely integrated you know and when they were showing on the screen the uh, essence magazine and the table of contents for their beauty issue the cover was animated the cover was a movie the cover right. was, was a motion graphic the articles were motion graphics everything was alive everything was touchable everything was not just a static well we could have printed this on paper too it's so, there's something different about what's going on here and they've been working on that for a while. That that was we've seen that happening, kind of evolving with Apple News. And then before that, you know, they tried to work on creating newsstand, and that didn't work because it was kind of because the publishers were too much in control, and they were trying to take what they already had and take you know shove Adobe a Flash PDF content, onto it, right? <laughs> yeah, shove it into a PDF or something, or you know, in some way, just take what they had, uh, which you know makes sense for the publisher, but it makes for an experience for the user that's not very good. And it was all sort of based on a whole bunch of different apps. So you had to buy and subscribe to all these different apps separately or whatever. But so, yeah, they're, they're taking this big picture, solve a whole thing and create a new way of working on things for journalism and apps or um, news related apps like papers and things. So that was exciting to see. And they've got some big deals with with subscription content. Right. They had, you know, they, they showed this, the, the skim, the highlight by Vox, Vulture, TechCrunch, The Cut, Grub Street. And they also mentioned uh, the Wall Street Journal. And the LA Times, right? LA Times. Or, and in Canada, The Star. So they're, and my understanding was that for the content like the LA Times and the Journal, it's not just some section of online content only. It's everything they have. I'm actually not sure about that. I think it's, they were described it as a curated, um, experience. So I think it's not going to be, I don't think they're, they're trying to replace people who are subscribers of the entire Wall Street Journal, everything, like business so, subscribers. So uh, Neil Seibert yeah. posted on Twitter saying, by the way, all paid WSJ content will be available in Apple News Plus. Any reporting that okay. says otherwise is incorrect. That, yeah, he would know. <laughs> uh, that, that it's, I saw a different tweet from somebody else, but I'm sure Neil knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Now, I, clearly, you can't use the WSJ website to get into it also. It, it probably has to be only through the news app, because otherwise, the WSJ would have to know about you as a customer. Right. And it's it's my understanding, you tell me I'm right or wrong, that WSJ has no insight into whether or not you're a customer, because your subscription is through Apple News Plus. Yes. 
the other thing, I would I would imagine that that publishers would be getting paid based on what you're reading, but Apple made it pretty clear that they're not going to be tracking what you're reading. So maybe they're just getting a fixed cut. I'm not I'm not sure how that works, but how they're going to model how much each publisher is going to get of, of the money that you're paying for unlimited use of all these magazines. But yeah. the only downside I see here is, um, I mean, the only kind of critical thing I can throw in is these are all massive publications that are global or national or whatever. Uh, so the the newspapers that serve your small town or smaller cities, things like that, it's going to be harder for them to, to benefit from a, a system like this. However, I mean, realistically, the newspaper is almost dead. Small media in, you know, towns and smaller cities is having a really hard time surviving. And they, you know, that's why newspapers and journalism are dying and why we're, you know, we're getting our news from Facebook and, and sources of free garbage that are just shoveling us, you know, completely made up garbage. Yeah. These little videos of nonsense just. So I'm overall very happy that Apple's creating a marketplace for real journalism and people who actually can write and uh, take pictures of, of amazing things and creating a marketplace is the most important thing for them because there was, there's no way that free and ads are going to pay for this stuff because we've already done the web and we know what the web generates. The web goes for lowest common denominator garbage. You, you get listicles, you get here. the top 13 <laughs> things that you need to know about. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you monetize with ads and how many clicks something gets, you get garbage. The top we 13 that reasons really that journalism true. is dying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how how I mean, is it possible for local papers to be able to get into Apple News Plus? Do they have well, an avenue kind of to a distribute? Thing. How would you do that? I mean, how would you create a, something like that? So I, I mean, maybe in the future. I mean, there's a lot of ways to work on things, but okay. Um, I I only posit about this because I have a, a, a close family relative who runs a small town newspaper. Runs two of them, in fact. And so I was thinking, you know, what can I tell her about this to see how she can use it? to her advantage but uh, and another another thing to think about i mean that's kind of parallel to this is radio stations it's the same thing we saw radio stations dying in the 80s but um most radio stations if you have a local radio station in your in your town was were a long time ago transitioned into um clear channel whatever stations right where you you may have somebody local that's giving station identification but all the content is you know coming from texas or somewhere else that happened and to a lot of kind them, of yeah. better and there, so there are still some independents, though. There are still some independent stations out there. Yeah, but not not very much. I mean, that that's kind of a thing that's sort of dead. And it how do you depends pay for a little it? bit on um, genre, right? You you get a lot of Christian music stations that play church broadcasts on Sunday. Those are local. Uh, the classical musical station next to me, WCPE, is uh, is a local station, not owned by anyone other than themselves. Maybe some indie stuff. I mean, there's something there's, to support they're, that. They're but. out there, but it's obviously a lot less once Clear Channel began gobbling everything up. And, I mean, you can blame Clear Channel, but it's also, this, we, saw, we saw the same thing with, like, local entertainers that would do stage shows and you know before the advent of television. And, you know, before that, it was movie theaters that kind of took talent and sort of homogenized it for an audience of millions as opposed to a few hundred people that are in an arena in a specific city. And so this is just kind of the way things work when we have global economics. Yeah. But hopefully there's so hopefully things will continue to get better, at least for the big newspapers. It's $10 a month. Apple News Plus gets you magazines, gets you machine learning recommendations, gets you curated news, gets you all kinds of incredible content, including the National Geographic stuff you were just mentioning earlier. It seems like a really good value. 
Yes, I, and I think it's creating a lot of new revenue for those sources if people are buying, you know, ten dollars a month is you know pretty reasonable if you read for stuff. But that's one hundred and twenty dollars of revenue that those magazines are probably not going to get otherwise. So it's a lot like Apple Music. I mean, are people going to pay for new music in iTunes as downloads? And we're, that's downloads are kind of dying, but you know, Apple Music is a way to get everyone to pay a little bit, and so artists are at least getting money. Okay, now. After they did News Plus, they announced a thing called Apple Arcade. Yes, we anticipated this also. Um, it makes sense. Uh, I think... What, what is Apple it, first clarified. of all? So it's, um, it's games that Apple is really incentivizing uh, games that are going to be good. They've already created a huge platform. Tim Cook called it, the, you know, it's, not, it's like the biggest video game platform. Um, if you compare it to things like, you know, PlayStation and any, any other mo- mobile, definitely mobile stuff. But Apple's created the only business model for creating mobile video games. Um, even for Android, it's not very good because there's no way to really sell content. You just have to put ads on it, which don't give like you very much money. Fortnite on Android, they, they told you to sideload it rather than going through Google Play, for that matter. Yeah. So Apple has created this actual platform, but there's only a few games on... I mean, that's probably, not un, that's probably unfair to say... But there are a lot of games that aren't very good because they're this kind of casino model of um, generating in-app revenue or in-app purchases. So the whole point of the game is just to kind of string you along and to get you to buy little bags of gold or something to yeah, continue keep, playing keep the game. Keep buying more cookies and stuff. Yeah. Because A, that's a really clever way to get money on people. But B, it's also hard to sell people on a new game every, every few minutes or, you know, as new games come out. And so here with Apple Arcade, Apple's creating... First of all, they're incentivizing developers to put more money into developing better quality games that are paid for by subscription as opposed to paid for by in-app purchase or something like that, mm-hmm. or, or advertising, or data mo- you know, stealing surveillance advertising. Um, and at the same time, they're also uh, the fact that they're creating good content means that people are going to have another reason to buy an iOS device and maybe a higher end, a newer iOS device, like a, like a newer phone, that's going to actually deliver games that look and sound amazing or that play, you know, incredible on an iPad Pro. The new iPad Pros, the sound on them, and just the screen is so incredible, that's a really powerful way to play games. And so creating content for this hardware sells the hardware, and creating content also creates a reason to um, to subscribe to this as a service, which creates the content developers, you know, putting the talent into building these creative, interesting, beautiful games yeah and i understood that they were subsidizing the creation of these games that they were supporting the developers to do this yeah just the fact that it's they're creating a market it's generating revenue and they're putting that money back into it it's i mean even the app store itself is a a way to help developers make money um i don't know the the terms of like how they're going to be supporting development directly but um just the fact they're creating a, a market that has real revenue in it is going to be amazing for gaming should should Steam, should services like Steam be concerned at all? Should Valve be worried right now? Do you I think? don't know. I mean, there's different kinds of um, gaming experiences. And like, if you look at console games, people always hated it when I compared console games or, or even things like the portable PlayStation Portable with iPhones when it for, was first coming out. And they're saying, oh, this is not even similar. And yes, it is not directly similar to compare a game that plays on a console with a, a mobile game. In the same way, that's not really always fair to compare a console game, PlayStation or Xbox, with a PC game, where you have even higher-end hardware and you have um, 
a lot more complicated interaction with, you know, you're typing on a keyboard, you have all kinds of buttons or, or whatever controllers. Those are all different kinds of experiences and they have come at different sort of business models. Some of the games that you buy for PC or consoles are, you know, 80 bucks for a game mm-hmm. that you're buying a, a really high end, you know, AAA game. That's not going to probably ever exist on a mobile device, but Apple is creating a way to monetize stuff that's going to be amazing on mobile and there's money for it. Because right now the app store, if, if most games are like a couple bucks, there's a limited amount of things you can do. Even with a huge audience, there's a limited amount of things you can do with a game that costs two bucks that you have to maintain for, you know, per- in perpetually forever. Having reoccurring uh, revenue allows you to do a lot of creative, interesting things and put a lot of work into them so that they're amazing. And it's customized for the mobile environment, so on mobile devices. You know, and I was really intrigued by the titles and types of people that they have working on these games. You know, they had, uh, gosh, they had the one of the people behind uh, Final Fantasy. Yeah. They they had a game that had art direction done by Dave Gibbons, who was the fellow who illustrated The Watchmen, which was a, a movie a couple of years ago, uh, but a comic book before it, and an award-winning comic book. They, you know, they've got some serious people working on these games. It's artistry. That, I, that we're really seeing there in the form of a game. So I'm really glad that there is a marketplace that Apple is supporting this model of, of paid games that tell a deeper story that are more engaging. And one of the things that, that I don't think I saw very many, I don't remember anyone predicting this, but um, they the used to always be the, the, the message, Apple doesn't get gaming. Yes. Because, you know, for a big yeah. time, Apple didn't get gaming. And they kind of fell into it with iPhone and iPod Touch. I mean, they really had games before that for iPod. It was kind of an experiment Those, of how to do yeah, mobile games. Yeah, that was just about how to distribute on iTunes, basically. Yeah, exactly. But here they're you know they're trying to do this little arcade kind of games on an iPad on an iPod, and then with iOS they kind of stumbled into this market where a lot of the a majority of apps were games, and so they they ended up with a market, and now they're taking that market that they've already developed and using it to to produce content that's going to be the best content for mobile. I mean, obviously they're. Because they have the money to do it. When you have money to do great art, you know that's that's kind of a shoe in that you can get it done. If you don't have a model, if you don't have a business model that supports the art, then you can either make terrible products or you can ask for a lot of money per title. And a lot of the things are not, just not going to happen on mobile devices. Yeah, it, it becomes very limiting to the few that can manage to do it without the budget. So that's pretty cool. There's. A lot that I'm hopeful to try out there. The uh, the examples that they showed in the video that they showed in the keynote were really exciting to me. So I'm hopeful. Yeah, that, there's that some we beautiful and interesting looking ideas there, and they're all different. It's not just like a cookie cutter. Like here's a fighting game. Here's another fighting game. Here's a you know shooting zombies again. No, it was these these are games where there is no violence, where there is no shooting. Not not all of them, but a couple of them were like that. Right? There's a range. There was. And there's already a pretty good game. I mean, it, the, in the app store, there's a pretty good selection of games. That do a lot of interesting things, but um, well, like it Monument can be Valley too, to, right? Monument Valley yeah, is find... one of these great games where they they made the one they said they weren't going to make a second, and then a year later they came out with one, and it was both of them were beautiful, and they have these great mechanics, and they tell a story, and and you know they're not the same sort of thing you'd find on a console necessarily, but they're incredible. A lot of this evolution wasn't something that Apple invented; it was developers. You know, they're, they're creative. We're, we're creating this stuff from the frameworks that Apple was developing. And so once they got it done, you look at WWC and Apple's helping and su- supporting development. They're not telling developers, you need to do this necessarily. They're, they're saying, here's the tools to do what you are good at, which is a really good partnership. And 
here's a kind of continuation of that evolution of once they've created a foundation that, that there's interesting stuff going on, now they can broaden it and make it available to other people and, and you know um, people who are talented in other areas like like you're mentioning with anything from comic books to a different style of gaming on a different platform well there you know there's there was the uh, the fellow who's behind final fantasy so that was more of an action kind of thing there's the sim type game where they talked about you just following your characters around living their everyday lives right there, there are all sorts of different ways that this can be explored i am excited to see it you know and i'm not a I, I am off and on a gamer. I am sometimes a traditional gamer, and sometimes I go away from games for a while. You know, I have a, I have a Steam set up, and I, I'll get into it for a while, and then I'll get away from it. I think this is giving me some optimism about, and, and I'm really hopeful about the kinds of things that can be created. And it'll be interesting if they can use this to leverage um, the development of better games for Apple TV. Because Apple TV is actually pretty pretty decent for hardware. I mean, it's it's nothing like a PlayStation, you know. Even the but, fourth gen um, is pretty good. Yeah, it, it's 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 pretty good for putting stuff on a television that's playable and fun and you know visually interesting. Um, the problem is how many people are going to go to Apple Television and put down money on a regular basis for a new game, and it's it's kind of harder to manage titles and stuff. But if you have a system that works kind of like the TV app, where it's saying here's the games you have, and you can start, you can continue where you left off from over here. Um, it will be a great thing for Apple TV and having more people looking at that as a product that um, is relevant in gaming. Yeah, Because right now, th there are some games that are kind of fun to play, but they basically have that in-app purchase uh, model that either makes the game super frustrating if you're not paying for it or very expensive. Well, I've said for years that the App Store on Apple TV is terrible for discovery. That if you're trying to look for games and you want to find games that are multiplayer that can use controllers that can take advantage of the things that you can do with apple tv it is almost impossible to find them it is really difficult and really frustrating and then once you find them you know you have no way of trying them out you just have to drop your 10 or 15 dollars on them or five dollars on them or whatever the fee is or or the dollar and pay an app and it's it's not easy it tends to be frustrating so I'm, this kind of pay monthly and have access to everything could be a real win you know, if, yeah, if, if you think like... about how much you throw away on apps a month trying to, to either play ones that have in-app purchases or trying to just try out and find good ones. And, you know, I'll throw a dollar at this one, throw a dollar at that one. The next thing you know, you spent seven to ten bucks during the month. This starts to make a lot of sense. Optimistic. I'm hopeful. I really am. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, we saw some great art in the show today. They Those games, I want to play those. I do. Would I pay ten bucks to play all of the ones that they showed today? Yeah, probably, because I would have probably paid four ninety nine for one of them. And if they have a hundred of those that are that good or that interesting, or even if they have fifty of them that are that good or interesting, or even if they have thirty of them that are that good or that interesting, and the catalog grows to the point where I keep getting more that are good, I, I don't see a problem. And having having the money, I mean, I think I'm kind of surprised that Apple hasn't put more money into app development, either first party or you know buying up successful stuff and really pushing it harder. Um, this could be an opportunity to see Apple putting more money into ensuring that there's good content available so that people will have a reason to buy its hardware. And be making it exclusive means that here's another reason to buy an iPhone as opposed to, you know, a phone that's considerably cheaper and has similar, you know, specifications. I'm a checkbox review. Yeah. Here's something, you know, here's another blue, bo blue uh, bubble kind of feature that um, adds exclusivity to the iPhone, gives iPads another reason to be very useful and also um, gives I Apple TV a reason to exist. 
You know, one of the nice things about subscriptions through Apple is that they're very easy to turn off and on again. You know, if if you're if, if you're using Apple, you know, Ar- Apple Arcade, and you find after a month or so that you don't use a whole lot of it, that it's not working out for you for whatever reason, it's very easy to unsubscribe and then come back later and resubscribe. And I have always appreciated that because it, it feels like I'm not being suckered into something yeah. the way it has with, with other subscription services that I've tried in the past. That's It's really liberating to be able to turn it on and off without a whole lot of worry. It makes it easier to keep it on, in fact, because there's not that sleaziness aspect to it. Yeah. Speaking of things where, where we were talking about just a second ago, you mentioned running on other devices that are nominally the same from a checkbox standpoint. We got to talk about the TV app because the TV app is going to run on other devices. Well, the content, yes. There's going to be. They said they're bringing um, the TV app to yeah. Samsung, LG, Vizio, Sony, and Roku and Amazon Fire devices, Fire TV. It'll be interesting to see how similar they are. Because, you know, Netflix is on a lot of devices, and some of them are awful. Netflix is really good on some things, and then other devices, it's kind of like, like I have Netflix on a Samsung television that I just want to pull my eyes out when I have to deal with it. Yeah. It's much better on Apple TV and other you know, other devices. And Netflix is interesting as an example, because Netflix tries to use some devices as beta test of their users for up- app updates. Yeah. Like they'll use the, uh, for years, they used the Sony PlayStation as their beta device. And if you had one used Netflix on it, you got whatever they wanted to send you as the interface that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then once they decided what it would be, they, they propagated it out to everyone else. And today, the interface for Netflix on Apple TV is the same as the interface for it on Amazon Fire TV, is the same for it as on Roku, because they want to try and get everything to be consistent as soon as they've decided what that's going to be. Right. And and Hulu is similar, right? Hulu runs the same interface on all of them. And Amazon, when they were talking about Prime Video, uh, someone did this sort of disassembly on Prime Video's app, and it looks like they're using the actual same literal code on every device, that the, the iOS app and the Apple TV app have code in it for other devices. Hmm. It's well, really there's bizarre. A, there's a, so, I'm not an expert in devices, but there is a... a pretty significant difference in computing power across all these different devices and television stuff and stuff but it'll be interesting to see the tvs that they're saying they're going to run this stuff on is are are the new 2019 models and some of the 2018 models uh i'm not sure how far back they're going so we presume that they're picking models that are going to have appropriate levels of hardware support for them right and it's getting to the point where it's not that big of a deal to run an app like this. I mean, it's not any any modern computer should be able to do a pretty decent job of, of running something that's this kind of quality. I mean, it's yeah. not like it's a really complicated app, but... Well, I, you know, the, um, the machine learning recommendations that they're using are probably not happening on your Vizio TV. That's probably happening server-side, maybe. I'm just guessing because I, I wouldn't expect that to run the machine learning stuff for TV app on a Vizio processor. They're probably maybe scale. I'm mistaken. I mean, you, you could deliver... Um, the the experience that you're delivering, you can deliver sort of a basic experience everywhere, yeah, and then have things better on Apple TV, which would be what we you'd kind of expect Apple to do. Um, by just having something that works and t- allows you to use your content everywhere, that's going to be um, a big deal. And when Apple first started talking about this, um, you know, we wrote a couple articles about uh, Apple Music being on Alexa devices and uh, uh, Air AirPlay. No, what are they called now? So, Airplay so. Two. 
AirPlay 2 and HomeKit compatibility are going to be on some of these television sets, for example. And I don't think and then iTunes is kind of a separate thing. Mm-hmm. I would I'd imagine iTunes, yes. if they were talking about putting on Samsung televisions, will now become this this iTunes app, or I mean the app, the, the TV t- app. Yeah, it's basically the next iTunes. It's the new iTunes app because it you really can is. get iTunes movies in within this app now. Yeah, so imagine iTunes is now becoming Apple Music and Apple TV. And essentially, they're you know they're they're shoehorning other services into this thing too, right? They've got the uh, Spectrum cable and Direct TV from AT and T and you know, your optimum cable kind of thing. And they've got uh, HBO stars, Showtime, CBS All Access being sold through it, similar to sort of how Amazon does with the channels and their prime video stuff. And uh, PS View is going to be a part of it. So that TV app really becomes the portal for all of your watching. Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting take on basically changing the interface for Apple TV and and similar television boxes like that um, from one that's, exactly the same as an iPhone yeah, an iOS, right? to a new kind of platform where everything isn't necessarily app-based. It's based on what you're wanting to look at, the kind of content that you're looking for, whether it's Showtime, specifically, you want to look at Showtime shows, or if it's action movies, or just in general, things that you're interested in. Um, Apple's creating an interface that's kind of based on interest as opposed to an app store with app titles and the fact that they've given Apple TV its own operating system name with tvOS, it's kind of similar to watchOS, where you do have apps you can click on, but the functionality of the watch is more based on what you're doing, what you're interested in accomplishing, as opposed to this is an app that this has, has these features. Very cool. Do we know how much this TV Plus service that, that goes along with the, the new TV app is going to cost? I don't think they've said yet. I think there's speculation that it's going to be... Um, something like five to fifty dollars. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but they're talking about it in the fall. So I think it's going to be dependent on how many um, partners they line up. There's going to be some um, working out contracts. Right. They specifically mentioned Showtime and some of these other channels, and um, Stars, Epics, uh, HBO, CBS All Access, and there were some others. Uh, I had the list earlier. Uh, so they're working it together, but I mean. There we go. The, the price, I mean, the price is important, but the, the price is not the hardest thing to well, for Apple to figure out. One of the things I was sort of hoping, and, and I didn't hear anything about it, but I'm still kind of interested in the idea of it, is a sort of, uh, you know, the way, the way that Amazon sort of has in the past given you access to all of their stuff for the one price of having Prime them bundling this with music or this with with some of the other services so that it becomes just one thing you pay. I mean, there's some well, there's I mean, something good about I, the a la carte, and they said, you know, maybe you don't want to pay for everything all at once, but it's, uh, I don't know, I go back and forth. What's your thoughts? If they can define each of these things as being viable enough, then it will make sense. People be like, sure, I'll pay for arcade because I like games, and I'll pay for TV because I watch stuff, um, and, you know, various things like that. The reason Amazon bundles everything together into this Prime is because uh, Amazon's business really isn't all these different things. It's selling stuff online. It's yeah. being a marketplace for everything. And the primary thing of Prime is that it's free shipping. And they're creating other services that give you some reason to have Prime. But uh, the, the main benefit to Prime is you're, you're going to pay a significant amount for it to get shipping because you're buying stuff on a regular basis. And that incentivizes you to go to Amazon to buy more stuff. Um, here, Apple's creating things that are very different and appeal to different audiences to some extent. I mean, some people are going to just subscribe to everything, and some people are going to be like, I want to read magazines, I don't play games, whatever. Yeah. 
I, I'm sure they could do, you know, bundles where you put things together, but they don't do that for, you know, Apple TV and iCloud and the subscriptions you can buy now. So I'm not sure that Apple needs to follow a, a prime model because their business is so different than Amazon's. Okay. Very cool. So after they talked about the TV app and the TV plus service, they started talking about their own shows that they're producing. And we talked about and reported on that in the past a little bit, but can you go ahead and speak a little bit about that? Well, they've put together a lot of talent and, you know, every time we talk about Apple TV or, or TV shows, everyone likes to say, Oh, I don't know. They started out so badly with this, um, planet of the show. apps and carpool karaoke. You know, yeah, they're, just, oh, they're so terrible and kind of unwatchable. And it's like, yeah, but you have to learn how to produce stuff first. You have to learn the business model. And a Apple was, um, they weren't trying to figure out how to do their own content so much as that they were trying to figure out how does this model work? How can we um, scale up to create the money to be able to do something like this? And it was comparable in some ways to their history with um, iTunes. And originally it was music from as many labels as they could get to buy into it. And then they added video very slowly. It was like music videos and then some Disney shorts and um, Pixar things. And as they were proving that this model worked, then other studios could not be part of it. I mean, they wanted to be part of it. So here's a situation where they're saying, we can, we can pay to develop stuff. We're creating a model. We have the subscribers that pay for stuff. So if, if, um, if you have a great idea and you have a team that can develop it, we can monetize it with the subscription that we are creating. I want to thank Dan for joining us. You can find Dan at Daniel Aaron on Twitter. I'm at VMarks on Twitter. Go ahead and email us. I'm at Victor at AppleInsider.com. And we will be back later in the week with more information covering all about Apple. Thank you so much. We'll be back.